Welcome and welcome those of you who are online. We appreciate you being with us this morning here in Ohio. And I think in many of the parts of some of you who are watching, uh, we've had some snow, not a lot, but they're telling us more is coming. So just enough to skim the, uh, the ground, possibly dissuade a few people from going out. So thank you, those of you who said, ah, that's nothing, and, uh, and have trekked through it. We've, we're in an interesting time. Uh, both uh, in the nation, in your own lives, and in the kingdom of God. And the whole world is moaning and groaning uh, for the adoption of the sons of God right now, and the sound is getting very loud. So I want to deal with that and continue to deal with that. As you know, our central vision and theme as we came into this year for this ministry is the kingdom and the youth, and you. And God is honoring that, but we must sow into those things. So for now, the focus is through this series on the fact that God takes the broken pieces and puts them back into a jar, an earthen vessel, something precious to contain heavenly treasures. That's for you, and that's for the kingdom, because you are you are the source and power of those on earth for the kingdom of God. God empowers us, but God uses us. So I wrote to you, and I said that God uses the broken so that no one may boast. Furthermore, we pursued the fact that we are able through the move of God and the power of God to not only understand and assess those things that we need to deal with, but also to, to be those that profit from them. Now, that's almost a, a contradiction that doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense to profit from a loss, to profit from a loss. Uh, an economist will tell you that there's ways you do it in the, in the stock market, isn't it? And it's been all over the news this past week. How many of you uh, became wealthy over GameStop stock this week? None of us, right? Maybe some of you there. Because I was going to tell you, remember to tithe if you did. And that we'll take GameStop stop as a, uh, as a tithe. But that whole skill was about shorting. It was about shorting and causing something somewhere to have a loss, buying it and, and borrowing it at, at, say, $10 a share, shorting it down to two, trading it back in and making the difference. It's called shorting. I don't know how to do it very well. An old, old friend of mine who's been gone for a while, Lionel Trebekok, uh, was an expert at it, and he would spend days every day finding some stock to short or something to do, and, and he did quite well with it. But in the economy of God, everything is a subtraction in order to add. The Lord says that we must decrease so that he will increase. Interestingly enough that the prayers of Jesus and what the Pauline epistles tell us is that the whole relationship of reconciliation of the Father with the Son and the move of the Holy Spirit is that we become one. We may be many, but as we are those that begin to trust in God and make Him our Lord, we become members of the body of Christ, and with Christ we become one. So there's a subtraction. The subtraction is our own self, our own pride, and our losses so that we can become abundant in the one. So he takes the broken pieces. I was uh, going to do a, a, a little example of that this morning, but I just didn't get the pieces together enough. But right now, um, one of our grandchildren, Laylee, she dumps everything out everywhere. And no matter what it is, it's a bag of something, she dumps it out. And then scatters the pieces. And then, of course, you know, uh, the adults, at some point, they collect them and put them back in. If you ask her to do it, she just kicks them around and moves on to the next bag to dump out. Broken pieces 
that are put back together again. And this pile of shattered fragments, as Jeremiah tells us, becomes something that's a divine designed vessel. Now, two years, two and a half, three years back, I gave a long series on the DDA of God, the divine design attributes of God. And that we aren't those who adhere to DDA, that's the flesh. Your flesh, yes, we understand the science. Some of us do somewhat, and some of us need some more instruction if we really care about it, about DDA. Is that correct? And chromosomes and what chromosomes do and how they attach and the ribonucleic acids and the RNA, which, by the way, is what's getting activated by the vaccine for uh, the COVID vaccine. It's dealing with your RNA. That's why some of us are saying, ooh, let's wait a little bit and find out what it's really doing because it's the first vaccine that's been released and they, they're calling it a scientific breakthrough that literally deals with your genetic code. Oh my, what's next? And so in that instance, we understand that it's not flesh. We're not glorifying flesh. We're not glorifying DDA. None of you have the same DDA as God because God doesn't have DDA. God created DDA. And it's a reflection of His image. And His image is D. D, divine design attributes, not DNA. And that divine design is everything that God is. And when we are recreated, then we become in his image and in his likeness. And so all of a sudden, this new creature, this new creature has access and all the attributes of God himself as he intended us to be in his likeness before. His likeness is all of his design attributes. His image is that in which he created man out of clay. So we understand that the Lord showed us from the beginning that he took a hunk of stuff out of clay, as we even discussed last Sunday. And he molded it into this image that he called man. And the first thing he named it was Adam, and it comes from the Hebrew, which is Adamha, which would be earth. So he formed Adam, earth, out of the clay. And this clay, as we learn later, is what? Accumulation of dust. From dust we come, from dust we go back. But then he did something very peculiar. He breathed his nefesh, his breath, the nefesh of God, his spirit, into that hunk of clay that came from broken fragments of the ground of which seems to be a very difficult thing to mold. One of our friends here today, his, his one son and even his other son, but his one son is a master molder of clay and, and, and does tempering clay and folds these things into earthen vessels and pots and has skilled that to where he's actually internationally acclaimed at times and nationally acclaimed and does great work. But he spends hours and hours and hours on a single vase or something single and polishes it. Interestingly enough, his father told me that when it doesn't come out right, he breaks it up. He shatters it because he doesn't want his name on that piece. He's striving for beauty and perfection. And that's what God does with us. He's putting the pieces back together, and when they don't quite fit right, something, somehow, somewhere shatters some of the pieces. Sometimes it's our own doing. We shatter the pieces. We get impatient. We get tired and weary of waiting, or we get influenced by something or somebody or the words that somebody says or the abuse or the rejection or the abandonment or all of the history of our lives and the pieces get shattered. And then we try to put them back together. And we use mono glue, not Elmer's glue, mono's glue. Mono, hey man, man's glue. We try to put it back together our own way, in our own flesh, and in so doing, the things that hurt, we just put layers over them, and we build them out a little bit better to try and hide those imperfections, and when there's a pain with it, we 
tuck it deep away and aside, and we build up some other kind of a reaction and a response to it, everything from indifference to anger, bitterness, hurt. But God, as we've heard so many times, He peels the layers off, and He gets down to the core of it, and the only thing, the only person that gets in the way of that is ourselves. God will do the work, and he'll create a finished product in you, an earthen vessel that glimmers and shines in the universe, something that everything in the atmosphere can see. Do you know that you have a hue and color to you? Whether you've been born again or not, you have either a dimness and a color that all of the spiritual world can see, and sometimes people that have the Spirit can see. How many times have you heard there's a glow about her? There's a glow about him. How many times have you even felt the presence of God on yourself and there was a glow that you could tangibly feel from yourself? The presence of God in your spirit and in your nature. Well, the angels see and the dark spirits see. They know who God has anointed and who he's perfecting. They know with whom the Spirit is inside of. And so a lot of times the resistance gets greater the more you shine. Because they realize that you're becoming something that is irresistible to the face of the Father. That's why the Word tells us, as if we're looking in a mirror, Face to face, we're transforming from a glory to a glory. Jesus, the bright image, the apagosma is the way it's explained in the Greek. And what it means, it's as if you're taking a picture and the flash is on and it goes bright like this. Jesus, the image of the Father, you are transforming and conforming to that image, to his image. And so you're bright. And the only thing that makes you and I dim as ourselves. It's our perception. Perceptions aren't real. Discernment is real. There's a big difference. The discernment of the Holy Spirit is what we need to have more of and to listen more of and to wait more on. And our perceptions are what we need to chuck aside and be less volatile with them. And so... We become polished. And here's the thing. We're not just made better. That's religion. You are not just made better. You are not just helped to become something more improved. God would not be satisfied with that. He didn't waste the blood of His only begotten Son. He didn't allow Him to become sin who had never sinned or His soul to suffer death. Both, both the death of the first and the death of the second life. He didn't allow him to send into hell so that we might resurrect with him. He didn't allow him to be the first fruit and the second Adam made again and conformed in the image of God just to improve you in me so that somehow we might limp through this life and stagger into heaven. That wasn't God's choice, and it isn't His way. Instead, He totally recreates you. A total new creation. Something that's a jar and a vessel without any blemish. And isn't it interesting that we're those who are alive and calling to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And we know through the Gospels, we know through the Epistles, that he's coming for a church without blemish, a polished church, without a spot. Think again about the master potter. He works so hard. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, after two, three, four, five, six, seven hours on something, I'm a, I'm a little bit inclined to accept a little flaw or problem with it. I mean, after all, look what we invested into it. 
it becomes comfortable, familiar. It's enticing, it's alluring. But the master parter says, breaks it into pieces and starts over. And says, I will not put my name to that. Father, I thank you for those whom you have given me. Now I pray, Father, that you keep them through thy name. The Father's name is on you. He has signed it. He's the master potter. He's the creator. We're the clay. And God, as you've heard it so many times, in the vernacular and however you want to put it, God don't make no junk. Everything he makes is to perfection. It's the other forces that try to create flaws. And so we know, we know from our study, from our training, that we are constantly at battle against three forces. We are. It would be ignorant not to understand it because then we would ignore what we can do to overcome it and to resist it and not only resist it but quit reacting to it. We have the force of the flesh. That's the worst one of all. I'd love to tell you the devil is, but beloved, I don't want you to be fooled and so arrogant that you think Satan himself is your nemesis every day. He's only one being. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. So you may be blaming something of yourself on him. He's not the one that makes cuss words come out of our mouths. He's not the one who has us curse instead of bless. That's ourselves. That's our own decision. That's our own will. We have control of this. He's not the one who frustrates grace. He can't. He can't frustrate the grace of God. He can't frustrate God. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a demonic kingdom and there's a lot of little demons running around and there's some principalities and there's some powers. But you better believe they're not dealing with you 100% of the time. You're not that important. Hello? To him, you're not that important. You see, he likes, he likes a population and a person that will go along with him that doesn't know how to resist him, and that doesn't shine so bright that the moment that he tries to inflict pain upon it, angels are summoned to come to war. The captain, the Lord of hosts, he knows when to send us help. And believe it or not, we do have guardian angels about us. I don't know how many. I've had so many people tell me different things. I don't really worry about that. I care more about what I know and who I am. Because if I know that, and if I stand on that, and if I speak that, and if I wait upon the Lord, I win. And you win. We sort of step into the destiny that's already ours because the Lord is just molding us so perfectly. And God has a way of not having to bust the whole thing up to fix a flaw. <laughs> it's called 1 John 1, 9 is one of them. If we sin, if we fall short of God, confess. And He is so quick to forgive and restore. But we need to confess it. And the word also means repent. Ah, Repentance. Repentance is a form of deliverance, by the way. Ladies, enjoy your time together. This is of God that you're going to be having Saturday. Deliverance is the children's bread. If you're a child of God, none of us are immune to being delivered from something. Huh? We all have something we need to get there under the blood. We all have something that's been creeping its way back in. We all have some things that have been layered under different layers and the skins get pulled back to look at. Some are painful, but there's a liberating that comes with it. Deliverance is the children's bread. And repentance 
Repentance is our self-deliverance. Repentance isn't just saying to the Lord and asking Him for forgiveness or even to somebody else. It means to stop doing it. If all you're going to do is repent of the same thing over and over and over, guess what it becomes? It becomes a practice. Or it is a practice. And if it's a practice, then it becomes who you are. You may say, but I'm a child of God. Well, if you're a child of God and you're out killing people, you're a murderer. If you're a child of God and you're cussing up a storm, what are you? Hmm? A blasphemer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. Who are you bruising? Maybe the people you cuss at, but for sure you're bruising the Holy Spirit of God that's within you. That's the kind of the fear of the Lord that we need in the body of Christ today. That kind of the fear of the Lord changes us. That kind of the fear of the Lord does what we would say, and my old, my old uh, grandfather would say, shut your mouth. You learn to just turn it shut because negative things are coming out. Negativism is one of the things we need to overcome to help the Lord to put the broken pieces back together. And negativism has a broad blanket. Negativism can cover so many of issues and frailties. But here's the good news. God loves you and me just like we are. But it doesn't mean He wants us to stay like we are. Come unto me, all of you who are. My way is easy. We are to conform into the image of Christ. And it's a work. Paul said it was a work. Paul said, I'm, I'm, I haven't yet attained that which I'm working towards. But I'm working towards it. And I keep working towards it. There was nobody tougher on him than himself. He was the one, above all people, that did a self-study of his own soul and spirit at all times. He had such a passion for people that he never wanted to fail anybody. And when he planted a church and it started to go sideways somewhere, he agonized. He agonized. And as he watched his own people as an Israelite, some refusing the Lord, he said, I, I'm betwixt two worlds. Romans chapter 9, he said, I, I would give up my life for my people, but I'm not the one who can save them. So I give my life to the one who can for him to use me. Beloved, I have really good news for you today. You are a precious vessel of God. And that vessel has been created to receive and contain heavenly treasures. All those things that are of God. Something very interesting about a vessel for God. It's never completely filled where you can't receive more. You can't give enough that God won't keep filling it. Something about being a vessel of God. The more you give, the more God pours in. God's not stingy and he doesn't want stingy people. Now, I'm not talking just about our money, our ties. I'm talking about our love, our hearts. Remember we said last week, if we did an assessment of where we spend our time, who do we spend? What do we spend more time on? That's a form of worship. That's a form of worship. Where and what do we spend our time? Now, we need to be practical, don't we? We have to live. Like you, I work too. I don't sit in an office and just get holy every day. I'm not religious walking around the church saying, Lord, bless this place. We work. Some of us work very hard. Some of us need to work. Hey, you don't get any compassion from me if you're poor and don't work. Go to work. Nobody's poor because they have to be. Hey, we all have stories, don't we? 
I can bet you very few of you cleaned as many toilets in your life as I did. Mm-hmm. Last count I knew it was over 10,000, and that was when I said, I'm done. I'm done with the janitorial company. One thing about a janitorial company, sounds great. Problem is half the people don't go to work every night. So guess who does the work? Guess who doesn't go on Christmas Day and does work? New Year's Eve, birthdays don't mean a thing. You clean, you clean, you clean, you clean. Ten years of that. From high school age on up. Lots of toilets. But I made money. I saved money. I invested money. Still doing it. Comes, it goes. Crashes, ups, downs, over. Recessions. Tragedies. Thieves. Huh? People that aren't fair. We've seen it all. But you know what? In the most broken I ever was. I've been broken multiple times. The most broken I ever was. I can look at you and tell you honestly, I wouldn't trade it for everything under the sun. Because God took that mess. That mess of broken, hurt, confused, demonic pieces. Rebellious, bitter, angry, violent. He took it all. It was a major work right here, huh? I know some of you, you just, you were there. You were just like the genie, right? Let you out of the body. Not this guy. Oh, my Lord. First of all, he had to use a chainsaw to bust it up. When that wasn't enough, he got a sledgehammer out and broke it into little fragments that you couldn't even see anymore. And when that was all done, he took me away for a while. Just to him. It was painful. It was hurtful. You know, one of the hardest things is, is God's putting the pieces back together. Let's be blunt. What is it? Delay. Waiting on the Lord. Delay. That's hard. I don't care how much faith you have. That's hard. You look at the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. They all had one thing in common. They waited. Ooh. I don't want, do you want to wait? I don't want to wait. None of us really in the impulses of our flesh want to wait. We really don't. But it's, you know, it's like the child. You tell over and over, don't stick your hand on that. And they do. And they get burned. Now all of a sudden they look before they put their hand on it again. Maybe. Maybe they're stupid and they put it on a couple times. I don't know. I burned a few fingers. Don't play with matches. Tried that. Burned a barn down. Yeah. No matter how many times they told me. Yeah, you burned a few things too, huh, brother? Yeah, those pipes, those pipes. You like those pipes, they'll burn some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they will. They burn your face up. Yeah. Waiting. Waiting is hard. But there's something that comes with the waiting when the excitement and the anticipation gets there. And and I've learned a few things that when I didn't wait on the Lord, I made a big mess out of stuff. I got ahead of them and I thought I was going to take a shortcut and make it happen fast. And I went through that stage where I thought I was the guy that God put his hand on it had to tell everybody else what their problems were. Oh, You may as well have B.O. People run from you as fast as they can. Put bad breath with garlic on top of it and all kind of stuff flaking off your skin. I remember once, Crandall Park. I used to take my walk from Selma to Crandall Park. And that's when I was praying for the gifts of God. How do you know you have them if you don't try them? Right? So I wanted to deliver. I wanted to cast demons. I wanted to raise the dead. I wanted to heal the sick. I chased some bums around there. They used to see me coming and they would take off going the other way. They just wanted a handout and I was trying to put a hand on. They weren't buying it. Yeah, we get ahead of God. We get way ahead of Him. But there's something about when God answers something. And the work that He does... 
We could go on and talk through the whole Bible, right? We all know the story of Moses. This guy abandoned, put in a, in a little basket, stuck in a, a creek in a river, picked up by heathens from his Jewish mama. Story goes, he's living a pretty good life, and then he gets an awareness about his identity, so he wants to take care of it, knowing that there's something inside of him that he's been created to be a deliverer. So have you. There's something inside of you that you've been created to be a deliverer. It's the DDA of God, and as it began to activate in Moshe, he, he reacted in the flesh instead of waiting his time to be the deliverer of his people. And he killed some soldier. Cast out, running, goes into the desert. Not one year, not two years, not 10 years, not 20 years, 40 years. Funny. He went there when he was 40. He came out of there when he was 80. I got good news for you. I don't care how old you are. You haven't fulfilled your destiny with God yet. The destiny of your latter years may be far greater than the destiny of your earlier years. Slow down. Quit racing. You don't have to jam it all in. Been there and done that. You make a fool of yourself. One thing about God, about waiting on the Lord, He's never late. You may be late. He won't be late. Aha, uh -huh, yeah. And he's never ahead of time. An analogy, say the alarm clock for God to, is 12 noon. God's not going to move at 11.59. And God's not going to move at 12.01. God's going to move at noon. What his time is. And funny thing about people that want to predict times over and over, God will make a fool of them, moi included, to show you he's God. God cannot break his own laws. God cannot break his own laws. That's why as long as we're holding on to arrogance and pride, it's hard to get blessed. That's why when we're holding on to things of the flesh, we get in the way of blessings doesn't mean God's going to give up on you. It means you're going to go around one more time in the desert. The children of Israel, their shoes didn't wear out. God was good and merciful with that, and he kept them fed. He provided, but they never got to the promised place. Somebody else got the blessings. We don't want to do that. We want to run to the cradle of the Lord and to his arms. You see this? Somebody thought this was a Christmas shirt with long sleeves. It's not. I got this as a gift from Daryl Scott. Daryl Scott from Colorado with Columbine. The father of Rachel Scott, who was martyred in the first school killings. And what happened was that I was watching that horror unfold like all of us did that lived in that time. I realized the enormity of it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, things aren't going to be the same again in schools. Had my own children in school. And I saw the faces of these children that were killed and the one teacher and the two murderers 13 of them and it came upon this one girl her name was Rachel and as I sat there on the edge of my bed right down the street over here in our home in Canfield before we sold it years back I began to weep and I began to feel the pain of that family. And a scripture came to me and it says, Rachel is crying because her children are dying. 
I could hear the tears. I could, I could hear the, the wailing. And it reminded me once when Laura Lee and I were in Israel. We were at a kibbutz. It was up by the Galilee. And we were only there for one night, but I didn't sleep almost all night because right next to us was a mother crying all night long, wailing, wailing and crying all night long. It was between the flesh of being agitated and the spirit of wanting to know what was up. Her son's bones had been delivered back to Israel from Lebanon. He'd been captured, cut up into pieces, sent back. I heard that crying again, that moaning. The hurt in me swelled up. We relate things to the people we love and care about, don't we? Four children at the time, all of them in school. I cried, I wept. I said, Lord, forgive us. What can I do? Not what can we do. I said, what can I do? It seemed like a futile prayer. But I, I felt like I needed to do something other than just pray for that family and bless them and forget about them in the next news cycle. And a vision came to me so clear. And I saw the face of that girl. And I saw tears coming out of her eyes. There were 13 of them. And I saw them fall to the ground. And a flower came up. 13 tears. They turned to blood. A seed must die and go into the ground in order to be birthed. The Lord said, I want you to call and prophesy over her father. I didn't know him. This man was broken. You talk about being broken in pieces. He was shattered for many reasons, both personal. It's part of his testimony. He was a, a pastor of a very religious denomination. He fell out of that, fell out of that grace. Felt like he should have been serving God more. His daughter became on fire for Jesus. The two murderers sought her out. Their videotape that was done months before showed them naming her. They asked her, when they put the second bullet in her, she still believed in Jesus. Shattered father. I fought the call until after the funeral. And I was fighting it some more and then the vision came. And then the next day the vision came. And I wrestled with God. I said, I'm not calling this man. He's broken. I understood his brokenness because when my nephew was killed, and I felt like I could have done more. When a call had come out to us in Australia with our children home, my wife had just arrived midway through the Revival I did from one end of Australia to the other end. I went in ahead of Billy Graham. We got a word from our intercessors. The word said that I had made the kingdom of evil furious. And there was a murder warrant out for our children. I'm a man of faith, but I'll tell you, when you're out in the trenches and you're fighting like that, 
23 services in 19 days. Coast to coast. On top of all the private meetings. I was wore out. I said, okay, we'll do what we can only do. We're going to fast and pray. And we did. And the next morning we felt the release and it was good. And myself and my wife and our team kept going. Came home. Came home. Two days later, I found myself in Washington, D.C. at the Hilton. 5,000 women from the end time hand waitings and some men prophetically releasing the word of God. And the Lord told me to have everybody stand up and begin to speak out the names of their family members. 1 John 5.15 Tell me that name, that soul that has not sinned to sin unto death and I will give it to you. We began to claim them and reclaim them and to pull their feet from the fire and call them into the kingdom of God. It went on for a long time. My family members came out of my mouth, especially the lost ones. Went home. Two nights later, the fateful call came at two o'clock in the morning. Christian and media, my nephew, was killed. 16 years old, hit a little tree this big in Mill Creek Park. I ran to the hospital to raise him from the dead. I felt the power come out of me multiple times. His body jumped, jumped. I was convinced he was coming out. And I think in a way my brother was too, the doctor, even though he didn't understand me at all. I said, Lord, you owe me this one. I kept going. I didn't quit. I fought hell. You owe me this one. Have you ever felt like God owed you one? Be honest. Huh? You did all you could do and you did some more. You laid it down and... Why? I remember walking out of that room, his body laying flat. I looked at my brother, his head came up, eager eyes, just hoping that somebody could have done something that he knew science and medicine couldn't do, and I had to shake my hand. We were shattered, broken into pieces. My wife, as she should, came to me and said, I, I, this price is too much to pay. I said, I hear you. I don't know what to do. I don't have a clue. I remember being in the shower that morning of his funeral. I said, Lord, you've got to show me something because I'm quitting. I don't have enough power. How can I preach a word that I can't do? I'm not going to deny you, but I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done. Call somebody else. Went to the funeral. Buried him. We weeped. We cried. My brother and I collapsed on each other. That night, we got in a big van we had headed to the gravesite. My brother, his wife, his son, Laura Lee and I, my mother and dad, we pulled up in Poland at the cemetery. It started to rain. It was terrible. I took a walk because I couldn't even be there while they were at the graveside mourning. I said, Lord, Lord, I'm not asking for much for me, but do something for my brother, will you please? He's innocent. He wasn't in Australia. I was there. He's innocent. Would you do this for me? We got back in the van, heading away from Poland Cemetery on 224. We were on our way back. My brother said, my son loved to see 
a sunset bursting through the clouds. I don't know why he said that. So in my spirit, I said, Lord, you say you can do all things. It's cloudy, it's overcast, it's raining, it's terrible. Will you do this? A couple minutes later, my father had Parkinson's, his fingers like this pointing up. I look, the clouds are separating. The sun's bursting through. I pull to the side. We get out of the van. My brother looks up. He looks at me. He said he made it. He made it. Went back to his house. People coming. I'm numb in a chair. Now I'm wrestling with my calling. His young friends are there and they're talking about the things they did together. And this one friend I'll never forget. It's a big guy. His feet were about this big. I remember seeing his feet. He said, yeah, Christian stayed over my house on Easter. I said, Easter? This was July. Easter was April. I said, yeah. I said, do you go to church? Oh, yeah. I said, where do you go to church? He said, Poland Baptist Church. I said, did you go to church on Easter? He said, yeah. I said, did my nephew go with you? He said, yes. I said, what did the pastor preach? Salvation. Did my nephew go forward? Yes. 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 He made it. Not my way. Broken pieces. One week later, I found myself in the studio in Virginia at CBN. They'd booked me six months ahead of time. <laughs> they asked me for a title. I mocked it. Six months ahead of time, they asked me for a title. I just opened the Bible up. It went to Psalm 19. said, the heavens declare the glory of God. I told them, the heavens declare the glory of God. When I showed up there, they had a Something made a slide for the television that said, the heavens declare the glory of God with the sun bursting through the clouds. I said, okay, Lord, let's pick up the pieces and go. Sometimes the prices are too much, you think. But because of that, I understood this. It took me a while to find Daryl Scott. We called through Colorado, through the Yellow Pages for churches back then. Finally got one. The pastor's secretary said, yes, Rachel Scott was a member here. I said, her father? No. Little did I know he didn't go to church at all then. He felt like he could never be used of God. He was broken, ashamed lost thought his time was over I finally found him they gave me his number and they said he would accept my call I called him I'll never forget it 10 a.m. Eastern time 8 o'clock his time I waited right till the clock hit the phone lifted up like this hello so sad I said, Daryl Scott? Yes. I said, my name's not important. I'm Frank Amedia from Youngstown, Ohio. Sir, I understand and feel your grief. I'm sorry to bother you. But I have to give you this word. And I said, I saw your daughter's face, and I told him what I saw. 
the 13 tears fallen from her eyes. I said they turned to blood and a flower came up. I said, sir, the Lord wants you to know that she did not die in vain and that he loves you and still wants you. I knew nothing about the man. But I said, if you'll answer the call, he'll give you the largest children's outreach for God in the world. So does this mean anything to you? No, Lord. I said, well, do me a favor. Just take my number down. Anything I can do for you, anything, anything at all, you call me. Was it? Forgot about it. Ten days later, sitting at the dinner table, the phone rings in the office off to the side of our house. One of the few times I was home for dinner and not working. My daughter, Mikkel, who's here, she goes to answer the phone. I didn't tell her to. Couldn't keep Mikkel down, so... Many a babysitter will tell you that. They put her in a room. She went out the window. Committed dark. Where were you? Went out the window. She answers the phone and comes and says, Daddy, there's a man who wants to talk to you. I said, just get his number. I said, you know, don't worry about it. She goes, no, Dad, his name's Daryl. He says he really needs to talk to you. I said, Daryl? I said, Daryl Scott? I don't know. He tells her, please put him on the phone. I go on for a minute. He says, do you have a fax machine? I said, yes, I do. He said, I'm going to fax you something, and I'm going to call you back. Okay. We sit down. I forget about it. We're eating. The fax goes off. Michael goes to the fax. Brings me back this picture. It was the last page in Rachel Scott's diary of a picture she drew 20 minutes before she was martyred. And under it she said, no greater life than to lay down your life for a friend. Daryl called me. He said this was just released from the sheriff's office with her backpack with the bullet hole that went through and severed her spine and paralyzed her before they came back and shot her through the head. This is the last thing that she saw and did. Today, Columbine Redemption is the largest outreach in the world to children. Broken pieces. from which God is making many, many faces and filling them with heavenly treasures. Your pain, it will turn to joy in the morning. Today, Daryl and I are best of friends. We can talk about this openly. The pain's still there. Some of the pain never goes away, but it's not bad that the pain doesn't go away. It's what we do with the pain. It's how we filter it. And if we allow the Lord to use it. The broken pieces, only God can put them back together. No man can. You can't put your own back together. Only he can. We can try, we'll mess it up. We won't get to the root of the problems. And finally this. We'll deal in this series about grace. We have to. Because it's only by the grace of God that any of us are anything at all. It's only by the grace of God that first of all we're forgiven and secondly that 
we're transformed and after that that we're created new and that God gives us every rich blessing from heaven above. It's only by the grace of God that relationships are restored and, and made. And it's only by the grace of God that every breath we have is a gift from Him. But as I prayed very early, about 2.30 this morning, I said, Lord, I want one word. He gave me two. Tell my people to give grace. Give grace. Give grace. Give grace. And as I picked that back up before the sun came up this morning, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Son, if you minister grace, I can give you more grace. Hmm. My word to all of us this morning, give grace. Find people and reasons to give grace. Remember, he died for us. We should have died for him. He took our punishment that we deserve. He stands at the right hand of the Father, justifying us as bad as we are. And he's patient and gracious. First and foremost, let's be gracious with one another. Huh? Let our words be gracious. Let our thoughts transform into grace. Let our actions have grace. Let our grace show that we love God so much that we'll minister His grace because we're vessels of His grace. What you give, you receive. So how about a challenge, huh? Everything's into a challenge. The whole society wants to challenge each other with crazy stuff. How about we make this challenge? Let's find at least one person each day this week to reach out to with grace. I don't care if they don't deserve it. I don't care if they hurt you. I don't care if they hurt me. I don't care if they tell you where to go when you tell them you're going to give them grace and you love them. I don't care what it is. Give some grace. Let's take the Lord at his word. And let's give grace. Let's give grace. And then when we come back together Sunday, Let's have an accounting of grace. I'm willing to lay it on the line and tell you, we're going to be amazed what God does with it. He will change somebody in a twinkling of an eye if we'll be the vessel of grace. We can't change anybody, not even with a fist. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. We thank you, Father, that you put back together broken pieces. We thank you, Father, that you're the master potter. And that, Father, you know exactly how to temper. You know how to mold. You know, Father, how to add color. You know, Father, how to give the smooth lines, the stark lines, how to blend everything together into what we can't even appreciate is as perfect as you make us. Lord, you're the potter, we're the clay. Make us into an instrument for you, O oh Lord. Father, open these vessels wide that we can indeed be those who receive and minister the abundance of all that you are. And Lord, Reveal in us the power and mystery of grace. 
Let us run to people to show them grace. Let us use the art of penmanship and send something. The art of a phone call or a visit. Let us just lay it on the line, Father. We thank you for your grace. Oh, my Lord, thank you that your mercy and grace walk with us all the days of our lives. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.